Welcome back to the Cardinals Off Day season preview. It is the last off day of the off season. Uh, ben and I are very excited to join you and uh, even more excited for the season to come. I am Ben Godar with me as always, uh, my good friend Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing really well. Uh, we've, we're have we kind of having up and down weather, so it I guess maybe in Iowa it does feel like what baseball opening day should be like. But uh, the sun and the wind and everything feels a little bit warmer uh, when you know the baseball season is about to begin. And so I'm, I'm uh, in quite a good mood as opening day quickly approaches. Yeah, for the last week or so here, it's it's looked very spring-like outside. Like the sun is out, so it looks nice. And so I'll I'll walk outside in lightweight clothing for a walk or something, and then the air will be much much colder than I expected. And so um, that feels about right for this time of year. So um, the the weather is lying to us, but the calendar is not, and baseball is here. So uh, we are going to. Uh, take a look at uh, all aspects of the team, hopefully, um, uh, you know, walk through some some interesting aspects of, uh, of the, the ball club, uh, get you guys ready for opening day. But before we do that, Ben, we've been through a spring training, we've been through a World Baseball Classic. Uh, what have you learned? Um, I have learned that the Cardinals are uh, really leaning into the underlying more direct measures of performance uh, when assessing players and making roster decisions. Um, you know, the give and take of what is a reflection of performance uh, is an interesting one. You know, you have your, I, I call it, you know, I the the quote unquote, I was a high school athlete mentality where it's, you know, results are all that matters. What did he hit? Mm -hmm. You know, those types of things. And and that's more of a stat based approach. Um, And that's an indirect reflection of how a player performed, right? Because you can hit a ball really well and it can be an out, you know, Um, or you can give up really soft contact. If you're a pitcher, like famously Mariano Rivera in the 2001 world series, you know, he gives up a broken bat single, but it wins the world or it loses the world series for the Yankees. But, you know, you'd be hard pressed to say that was a bad pitch. You know what I mean? And so, you know, with the decisions like Alec Burleson, who the team has talked about his batted ball profile a lot, Packy Naughton, they've talked about, his pitch profile and how he has improved his slider. You know, these guys are on the team and they're going to get the first chance uh, here on opening day and moving forward uh, to solidify a roster spot and maybe be on it all year. And I think Jordan Walker also fits in that category to an extent where they look at his batted ball profile and the things that he is most directly responsible for. Mm-hmm. And he is on the opening day roster. He's probably going to start opening day. And then you look at someone like a Dylan Carlson who doesn't hit the ball as hard as often. And he is now going to be the fourth outfielder. And you compare that to Tyler O'Neill and Lars Newtbar as well. Uh, I feel like Lars Newtbar is another guy who they kind of talked about in a way that's similar to the way that they talk about Burleson and Walker. And he has now kind of, 
uh, has a, you, you know, a spot as one of the primary outfielders. And so as we sit here today, I think it's safe to say that the people making roster decisions for the St. Louis Cardinals are relying more on the information that is shown on StatCast than they are the stats that are on the back of baseball cards. Yeah, uh, no, I agree 100%. It's funny, as soon as you uh, talked about them uh, relying on those kind of some underlying things, Alec Burleson was immediately the first name that I thought of. Um, And, uh, you know, Ben, I'm going to zero in even more than you did on uh, Jordan Walker, because I think the the biggest thing that I learned and I think that we all learned is that, uh, you know, Jordan Walker's time is right now. And I think that that tells us a a number of things uh, beyond just the fact that, of course, uh, he's going to be riding into uh, Bush Stadium uh, on a a very large pickup truck. In fact, I'm wondering, do they need a larger pickup truck for Jordan Walker? Do they they have one that they... I think they need a dually. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You know, my my family used to uh, own some horses and I would... I feel safe saying uh, using one of the phrases that my dad would use is Jordan Walker's a horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a big man. And so you need a dually to haul one of those around the ballpark, I think. Well, uh, and big, you know, the, a big guy the, like him. Luckily, I mean, they had, obviously they had uh, Mark McGuire for many years. So I think they, they, they know uh, it's not the first uh, player of that, that size that they've had to get through the ballpark for opening day. So hopefully they're prepared for that. But, um, but uh, you know, I think the choice to have him on the, on the opening day roster, it, it definitely told us some things and um, it, yeah, he did come out at the beginning of spring training and, and uh, you know, put up big numbers, was absolutely crushing the ball. But I think you're absolutely right. This wasn't about numbers and really it was never going to be, nor should it ever be about spring stats. Um, uh, You know, it is about his underlying skills. It's about what they forecast for him. Um, It also is about the fact that they're no longer operating in a way that we saw them operate for a long time, which was really uh, kind of a, you know, uh, every player in turn, you know, and that they really had to kind of clear out the guys ahead of you before you got your shot. Um, you know, I still think that they see, you know, value and opportunity for some of those guys that are ahead of Walker, but they see a lot more potential in Walker. So he's, he's jumping ahead in line right now. Um, you know, and I know that there's some, you know, some questions, some debate, you know, is he ready for it? or not. Um, I'm firmly in the camp that you get this guy up there. And, and I, um, I actually, and we, uh, we were on maybe unusual uh, a week or so ago and, and kind of talked about this and actually um, uh, Daniel Shopta on his blog this, uh, this morning, I think it was um, uh, had a really great quote uh, that I thought kind of got at this. He asked, uh, what if he hits 220 with five homers in his first 135 plate appearances or, or 179 with four homers and 95 plate appearances? What if he has an 81 OPS uh, plus and 514 plate appearances? Are we disappointed? Do we write him off? After all, those numbers are the rookie years of Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, and Nolan Arenado. And I thought Daniel really hit the, the nail on the head right there because, frankly, that's what I expect. <laughs> you know, I expect he's probably going to kind of struggle like that. But uh, when you have this kind of a talent, you just, you, you've got to get him up there and you've got to kind of uh, go through that. Um, um, and you go through that right now. And something else I, I mentioned, we, we had that conversation last week too, 
um, that I think is worth noting, uh, guys the size of Jordan Walker, um, and there's not many of them, again, 6'6", 250 plus, you're talking about Aaron Judge, you're talking about Giancarlo Stanton, you're talking about Adam Dunn. I mean, there's there's like uh, less than 10 of these guys in, in MLB history. They come up at a really young age. They do come up at like 2021, 20, and their careers tend to end early. So even more so, I think that's another reason to get this physically mature guy who, you know, I think really has the tools, is ready to play, you know, get him up there to play. And, and what we've learned is the, the Cardinals uh, agree with that. So he's going to, he's going to get up there and he's going to get that shot. So I'm excited to, to see what he does with that. So that's uh, the, to me, that's the big thing that we, we learned this spring training as well. So Ben, any other thoughts on that? Or should we uh, launch into our, uh, our main topics for the day? I think we should dive right in. All righty. Well, um, as folks who have listened to us for, and we're, you know, Ben, I think you realize we're actually launching into our third year of the podcast here. Um, and so with that, this is our third uh, uh, war draft. We've done this every year that we've done a, uh, a season preview. Uh, we, we draft uh, position players in terms of who we think is going to put up the most wins above replacement. Um, so just to real quickly recap uh, last year's uh, wins above uh, replacement draft, uh, which we did. Uh, um, I'll run that down for folks. You had the first pick. Uh, ben, you picked uh, Dylan Carlson, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Harrison Bader, and Edmondo Sosa were your picks. Um, I went with Nolan Arenado, Paul O'Neill, Paul DeYoung, and Tommy Edmond. So, uh, Ben, last year, I for the second year in a row, um, I'm I'm uh, I'm two and zero oh now. I did come out ahead, uh, fourteen point three wins above replacement to eleven point one. You had me outpaced until I uh, I did snag uh, Edmund in his uh, his big year in that that final uh, that final pick there. So, um, <laughs> but uh, overall, I think we did uh, we did fairly well. Uh, the best players that we did not draft last year in terms of wins above replacement were uh, Donovan, Newt Bar, and Pujols, who I think are uh, all guys who uh, I, I think uh, not many of us saw putting up the kind of years that they put up uh, before the season started. Yeah, and I uh, I think looking back at it, I I think as you said. Um, you know, with those guys, it was just, it was a question of what would they do with their opportunity? And, you know, to the Cardinals credit, uh, they all, I think, seized on their opportunity and performed well for the team and were, you know, very important role players uh, for a playoff team. And um, I'm, you know, I, I still think it's, it's interesting to look back and, you know, where you are before opening day uh, is not where you're going to be in even July, you know. Yeah. And so it's uh, it's it's really interesting now to look a year later like you aren't going to take Dylan Carlson first, or at least I, I, I yeah. wouldn't. <laughs> um, and yeah. and uh, but, you know, Donovan's certainly, you know, a guy who's going to get a lot of opportunity and Lars Newtbar is a guy who's going to get a lot of opportunity. And they, I think that's reflective of how well they performed last year. And, um, you know, and if you would have told me last year that, uh, Jordan Walker is probably going to be one of our draft picks this year, I would have told you, 
you know, whoa, 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 whoa. he's just a kid. Let's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would have tried yeah. to talk you off of yeah. getting your expectations up too high. So uh, it it's, it's a real fun snapshot in time and I'm excited for the draft this year. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, well, with that, Ben, uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we jump into it? And since I am the two year in a row defending champion, I do feel I should give you the, uh, the first crack. So would you, uh, would you like to make the, uh, the first selection in, uh, in this year's, uh, war draft? Um, I am going to be less clever this year with my first overall selection. <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to use my pick just as an opportunity to review what wins above replacement or war is for folks. You know, it's a framework for looking at players and it's context neutral. So it doesn't take clutch that type of thing into performance. And it looks at the runs you create on offense, you know, with walks, the ones you lose with strikeouts, you know, how valuable your hits are. And in terms of are they singles, doubles, triples, homers, that type of thing. And then there's also a base running component. It looks at how you generate value on the bases. And then there's also defense. And depending on the types, uh, the type of war you're using, there are different ways to measure defense. Um, but it's looking at how many runs you save for the team and putting a value on that. So with that in mind, I think folks can probably understand uh, why I would take Nolan Arenado number one overall, because he may very well be the best all around player uh, in the league uh, this year. And I'm going to uh, use the number one pick on him because of his all around talent. Uh, ben, I wrote Arenado down actually uh, right after I wrote your name down. So I had uh, no doubts you were going to go with Nolan Arenado this year. Um, Solid choice, solid choice, of course. Um, so uh, I think uh, equally chalky uh, in the second spot. Uh, I am going to go with Paul Goldschmidt. Now, you and I have talked about the fact that I think uh, folks may have um, perhaps uh, some overinflated expectations for Goldschmidt coming off of MVP season. I don't think you or I expect him to um, come um probably near that 7.1 wins above replacement he he put up last season you know but that said i think he has kind of um after a, a little bit of a a dip as he kind of transitioned into st louis which of course also coincided around the kind of weird covid years and everything um you know he he does seem to have reestablished a baseline around a you know four and a half to five win type player um you know which was a level that he had sustained for for quite a long time um and uh you know i have every reason to think that um you know that's uh that's about what he's uh, going to put up this year. That's right in line with his, uh, you know, zips projection, um, you know, which, you know, tends to be a fairly conservative projection as well. Um, you know, Goldschmidt just has such, such a track record and um, you know, there's certainly other people who might have a, a ceiling that where you can imagine something where they could have a, uh, you, you know, maybe they could go beyond above that, but um you know, aside from Arenado, I don't think there's anybody with a with a higher floor than Paul Goldschmidt. So I'm I'm going to take him with my first pick. I I think that's a very good pick and very good reasoning. 
behind that pick. I and and that's something I do want to stress. I I think that we might be considered down on Goldschmidt, but we still think he's going to be very good. We would just be surprised if he's you know top five and MVP again, or even you know frankly I would probably be surprised with top ten. Um, but that's still a very good player, and you know his as you said his floor is so high. Uh, he's a very good pick in a draft like this. And 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 Ben, I'm going to tell you right now, I think I think we just got through the really boring part of this draft. I think it gets really interesting here. <laughs> so I'm I'm very interested to hear what you have to say next. <laughs> uh, I am I have a, a fever, and the only prescription for it is more pepper grinder. Um, <laughs> and so, but but uh, Andrew Kisner shared horrible news today uh, on the radio oh, in St. Louis. That. And that is, on the one hand, I understand it. The news is, I should say first, that the Cardinals uh, are doing away with the pepper grinder celebration. Uh, basically, it has become bigger than St. Louis, and the Cardinals are going to let the world have it. Uh, you know, And they're going to come up with something new for their team for this year. And on the one hand, I understand that. You know, the the World Baseball Classic Japanese team using it and winning it all, it, it does kind of become theirs with the way things transpired. Uh, but the originator of that is Lars Nubar, and he is my pick, and here's why. Uh, the keys to being a good offensive player in Major League Baseball, the, the two most important factors, and Eno Saris, who we talk about a lot on this podcast, he writes for The Athletic, he writes really good stuff. I encourage you all to subscribe to The Athletic and read Eno's stuff. Um, you know, he's really broken down that the, the two strongest indicators of offensive success are strike zone discipline. Basically, you don't chase pitches out of the zone and then hitting the ball hard. Lars Newbar has had strike zone discipline throughout his career. He has that skill. He has also shown last year and now in the World Baseball Classic that he, you know, going to driveline, getting a new bat, really working on maximizing his efficiency with his swing to hit the ball as hard as he can, as often as he can. He can, his hitting eye lends itself well uh, to developing that skill set. And so I think he is going to have a really good year this year because of those two talents. And I will also add to that, he hits left-handed. He does pretty well against left-handed pitching. Uh, but he's going to get more plate appearances, even if he struggles against left-handed pitching, because there are more right-handed pitchers in the league than left-handed pitchers. And so when you take all that together, I think he's a, a good bet to be third on the team and wins above replacement, or maybe even higher. Um I am very high on Lars Newtbar going into this season, and I select him uh, with my second pick and the third overall. A very, very interesting pick. I would love to see Lars Newtbar uh, finish that high uh, on the team in that regard. I, I love Lars Newtbar, and I, you know, want to. I would just love to see him. Uh, you know, sustain the the level of player that we saw him be over the second half of last season. And, um, you know, really what we saw in the World Baseball Classic, because, um, you know, we just w- want to see a performance that matches his uh, personality, which is huge. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, go ahead. 
Oh no, I was just going to say, and that's another reason I really enjoy cheering for him. You know, it's it's a very it's very much a head and heart on the same page selection, right? Like, I enjoy Lars Newbar. I enjoy cheering for Lars Newbar. I am I believe in his talent. All of these things uh, make me happy with this pick. Well, Ben, with my second pick, uh, I am going to uh, appease the the folks who uh, accuse us of being uh, Tommy Edmund haters by making Tommy Edmund my second pick. Uh, and uh, we, uh, Tommy Edmund was a, a a fairly low pick for us in each of the last two years, um, and uh, has has overperformed where we've picked him each of the last two years, and. Uh, you know, I think part of that is for, for me anyway, um, you know, I think Edmund has a skill set that, uh, you know, to some extent is maybe not uh, in a little bit of a blind spot for me or just, you know, uh, uh, the types of things that he does are not always the types of things that I most like to see in a player, or maybe I'm more aware of his deficiencies and not always giving him enough credit for the things he does well. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, my overall opinion of him has, hasn't changed. Um, I have big concerns about uh, Edmund's hitting profile and, and kind of continue to have, have those, um, you know, overall his results were, better last year, his kind of end results. I don't think his, um, you know, what he was doing underlying that was better. Um, I think maybe just a lot, mostly I think it was luck. I think a little bit, it was how it was deployed, but again, circling back to what you talked about at the beginning with Arenado about what goes into wins above replacement. This is really why I think just from a sheer gambling perspective here, and I'm trying to rack up my points. This is why I think Edmund, um, you know, needs to, to be right here because, you know, even if his, uh, you know, his offense kind of sags back to that, uh, you know, 95 uh, OPS plus kind of level. Uh, you know, his defense has shown to be very strong. Um, you know, uh, his base running is exceptional. So, uh, you know, even in a universe where they do bring, let's say they bring Mason Wynn up, um, you know, midway through the season and Tommy Edmonds ceases to be an everyday shortstop, they will find significant playing time for Tommy Edmonds still in a utility role. And he will be a plus defender wherever they put him. So with the plus defending, with the plus base running, and with, you know, I think hopefully offense that's not too much of a negative. Um, I, I think uh, he's got more guaranteed playing time than a lot of the other folks who we have kind of left on the list here with those other uh, things I mentioned. So I just think he's a good enough bet to put up more wins above replacement than the other folks I see on the board. So I'm, I'm making him my second pick. Uh, it's it's interesting. He fell to you with the last pick uh, last year, and now I feel like maybe you're reaching a little bit. I, 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 I had to throw some hate in there just to, to stay on brand <laughs> um, because he, he has generated value in, in such different ways. I'm not sure what his true talent is. And I'm real interested to see how it manifests itself this year. 
Um, well, his, very- his offensive his offensive value has varied, but I think his defense and his base running has been pretty consistent. His so- his base running has been consistent, and I think the big question is, can he get? And this has always been the question: Can he get on base enough to really yes, generate that value on the bases? And you know, that's that's really kind of distills it down for him is the the whole on base percentage uh, yeah. component. And so it, it will be interesting to see how he does this year, especially because he went off to the, the Korean uh, team for the World Baseball Classic. And now I feel like all of St. Louis Cardinals management and media, you know, it's like that meme where they're all looking at Mason Wynn like, ooh, and then Tommy Edmonds like, hey, what about me? You know, <laughs> like... Uh, I, I feel like while he was gone, everyone got a good long look at Mason Wynn, and now they're counting down the days to him uh, getting his shot at shortstop. And that although it's, come... it's, it's interesting though, because looking back at our our war draft from last season reminded me, you know, Edmund had a abysmal spring training last year, and that was one of the reasons I think that he fell so far in our draft. Because if you recall last year, there were the, there was a lot of conversation about, well, how much time will, when will Gorman come up and right, how much, <laughs> yeah. time, how much second base time That's will right. Gorman be? And Sosa had showed so well the season before, there was a lot of conversation about, well, will Sosa and DeYoung, will that be a timeshare? And could one of them even kind of shift over to take second base? So that was really the, the, the framework of the conversation at the end of spring training last year. And then uh, and, and no one had even considered the idea that Edmund could move into shortstop. The team had pretty definitively said, uh, you know, no, that's not really something we're interested in doing. And it, what it was like three, four weeks into the season, <laughs> it was like Tommy Edmonds, the everyday shortstop. Yeah. He had the you know the best season of his career. So, you know, uh, all, all, all these possibilities are on the table. Yeah, it could go any which way. And it'll be really interesting to see. Um, I am up now and I am going to go with uh, Tyler O'Neill. Um, and and the reason is he's done it before. You know, he has shown that he can be, you know, the type of player who's getting MVP votes. Uh, I am going to elect to believe that Tyler O'Neill somehow is in the best shape of his life. Um, as the early reports indicated, he worked on being more durable so he could spend time on the field instead of on the injured list this year. Uh, and, uh, he has the bat speed. He's going to be playing center field more often, which will allow him to get a little bit more, uh, of a boost from the positional adjustment and wins above replacement. And, uh, and he also hits the ball really, really hard uh, and um, did a good job of doing that in the second half last year. And I think it's going to continue into this season. And I think we are going to see a Tyler O'Neill renaissance. Um, and I also think with his speed, he's going to steal some more bases with the rule changes, which is something we didn't talk about with Edmund. I think uh, Edmund and O'Neill could be two players uh, who benefit from the bigger bases, making it a little bit easier to, to steal bases this year. And so for those reasons, I'm going with Tyler O'Neill. 
Yeah, that's, I think that's a good pick. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm going to keep it boring. I'm just going boring this year uh, with my third pick. Um, I'm going with a player who I think has an extremely narrow amount of space between the floor and the ceiling, and that is uh, Wilson Contreras. Um, I think Wilson Contreras uh, is is absolutely going to hit and put up um, some some very solid uh, offensive value. Um, you know, I mean, I think we're going to see, you know, him, at, you know, somewhere in the, you know, three, three and a half wins above replacement, um, you know, range, uh, you know, not really do much, obviously, defensively, um, uh, you know, not, not, not add, but not really detract uh, from that value significantly. Um, and I think that's just, that's going to be enough to, you know, uh, to, to put him there. So, uh, Wilson Contreras is going to be my third pick. Ben, we did four each last year, so I think we're down to our, our our final picks. Yeah, this is real tricky. We could have gone maybe five or six deep uh, this we year. Could, we, you know, like. we, we could we could go we could go five this year if you want. We got enough. Uh, we we could go five if you want. Oh sure, then let's do it because I I feel there are other players that merit conversation. Yeah, yeah, uh, let's do it. It's it's all about having a conversation. And uh, I am going to, uh, I am going to go with Brendan Donovan, and and the reason I am is uh, I think he's going to be hitting towards the top of the order, and I think he's going to get a lot of plate appearances because of that, and he hits righties and lefties uh, fairly well. He has plate discipline plate discipline and spades a lot like uh Lars Newtbar and he seems to have cracked the code on at least hitting for a little hitting the ball a little bit harder than he did last year and i'm not saying that he's going to be even a 15 home run guy you know but if he drives up the number of doubles that he can hit uh with his plate discipline he's going to be a really excellent leadoff hitter and a very valuable player and I think he, uh, even with the shift limitation, I think he'll uh, be on the plus side defensively at second base because the Cardinals are good at positioning their defenders uh, even without the shift. So just within the confines of the shift, the Cardinals are good at positioning their defensive players on the field to take away hits and help that player generate value on the defensive side of things. Uh, so, but, but the really big thing is I think he's going to be hitting towards the top of that lineup most of the time. And I think he's going to be able to generate a lot of value, uh, with his bat. And I think, uh, he's going to be a solid pick, uh, at this point in our wins above replacement draft because of that. All right. Well, Ben, with, uh, with my fourth pick, um, I have come down with a case of gore mania. Uh, I'm going to take Nolan Gorman. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, Nolan Gorman in some ways was, uh, last year's Jordan Walker. He was not quite as heralded a prospect as Jordan Walker, but he was not that far behind. <laughs> I feel like, um, folks almost lost sight of what a good rookie season Nolan Gorman had at, um, only slightly at an older age than, than Jordan Walker, uh, where Jordan Walker is. Uh, and I just, uh, really expect that Nolan Gorman is going to have a, a, I think he's just going to mash this year. I think, I think Gorman is going to really do a lot of damage with his bat this season. 
I think he's going to get plenty of playing time. Um, I think the only thing that's going to hurt him from a wins above replacement standpoint, um, I, I do think he'll he'll play a fair number of games in that designated hitter spot. Um, he's certainly not going to be a full-time designated hitter. The Cardinals are never going to do that, nor should really anybody. Um, he'll play a lot of games at second base. They've already said he's going to be the kind of primary third base backup as well on those days that Arenado's off. Um, but uh, I don't know that his defensive value, even on those days he plays, neither position is going to be much enough to add much there. So, um, but, uh, you know, I think he's going to hit. I think he's going to hit well. So I'm going to take him with my fourth pick. Um, I was torn on him because I, I think he's going to mash also. Like, I'm with you on that. Um, but I was looking at it, and I just I, – I don't know what his fielding, uh, you know, numbers are going to be or even how much yeah. uh, he's going to play in the field. And so I – I kind of shied away from him just because this is a total value draft, but I, I really think I'm, I'm really high on, on Gorman as well. Um, yeah. We, we would both take him much. We would both take him much higher in the OPS plus draft than we would yes. in the uh, wins above replacement draft. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, but uh, you have uh, put me in the position here with my draft pick, uh, to take uh, Jordan Walker. Um, and the reason I'm going to take Walker is um, he is the person that they want to be a primary corner outfielder for not just this year, but like for the next 10 years. And so I think he's going to get every opportunity to be that guy. They did not put him on the roster to, to p- place him on the bench and not have him get at bats. And so he's going to get ample opportunity to hit. Um, His plate discipline is not elite, but it's not terrible. And his ability to drive the baseball uh, is potentially elite. And so I think he's going to generate value with his bat. I think he's going to be good enough in a corner outfield uh, spot, even though he hasn't played that position a lot, uh, that he isn't hurting himself uh, in terms of what he brings to the club and to wins above replacement. And so I think he's going to get, you know, 500 plate appearances, maybe more, uh, if he hits. And, you know, there may be some bumps in the road, but I believe in him. And we could be back next year at this draft with me saying the same thing uh, with the caveat that despite an okay season last year, but I I think he's going to hit. And with where we are in the draft, for me, it's between him and Dylan Carlson. And even though Carlson has probably a better plate approach, he hasn't shown he can hit the ball as hard. And he's also the fourth outfielder right now. And Jordan Walker is one of the first three. So that tells me what the organization thinks and who is most likely to get more playing time. And, and so even though I still like Dylan Carlson as a player, and I think he will have a good bounce back season if he's healthy, uh, I'm going to go Jordan Walker with Jordan Walker because he's ahead of Carlson in line. Yeah, no, I I would have gone with Walker as well. Um, uh, you know, I think, um, and, and again, 
you know, yeah, we'd love to see Jordan Walker have the Albert Pujols rookie season, but that doesn't happen. <laughs> That's why we remember the Albert Pujols rookie season. I think it's much more likely that, um, you know, Walker hangs around for a full season and, you know, maybe has a, you know, 100, 105 OPS plus season and just, you know, shows he can handle it. Like that would be a completely solid debut rookie season for him. And that's, that's frankly more of what I, I realistically expect from him. Um, and you kind of forecast the correct pick for me to take here, Ben, is Dylan Carlson, who is absolutely the, the fourth outfielder in that outfield mix and, and um, you know, one who has really played a little more center field than any of the others should get a lot of playing time is still very young. I think um, there's a lot of reason um, for him to, you know, th- I think there's re- still reason that people could be optimistic about Carlson, but I'm not going to take Dylan Carlson because I'm telling you, Ben, I'm just out on Dylan Carlson. He, he, he cannot hit right-handed pitching. Um, I think the team is out on Dylan Carlson as well. Um, uh, you know, I just, I, I just don't see enough there. Um, I'm going to take Mason Wynn with my pick because I just, Wynn did so much this spring that I think that there is a, a, a good chance. Now it's going to take an injury. It's going to, or, or a trade, something's going to have to happen, but, um, I think they want to see Mason Wynn on this team in 2023. Now at the beginning of the spring training, I would have said Mason Wynn is a a 2024 St. Louis Cardinal, but I think he's going to be joining this team sometime this year. And when he does his, his defense, his base running. um, And then, you know, now again, it'll be tough for him to, uh, you know, come up and, and hit at the level he could eventually hit. But he has so many tools that I think that even in a half season, Mason Wynn could outperform, uh, you know, Dylan Carlson in a backup outfielder role. So I'm going to take Mason Wynn with my final pick. Oh, I and here I thought you were going to also say this also is insurance for Tommy Edmond taking his rightful place as a utility player. <laughs> no, I, I, I left that for you. I was like, I'm sure oh. Ben will get that dig in, so I'll leave that. I'll, I'll, I'll set that ball on the tee and let him take that swing. Um, so. I also want to say, even though neither one of us selected him, I think Alec Burleson could have a really good year because he's a left-handed hitter who makes good contact. Um, and has high quality of contact when he makes contact. And most pitchers are right-handed. So I think he's going to get a a fair number of opportunities to really contribute to this club and and have a good year. So even though we did not take him, you know, I don't want folks to think like we're down on Alec Burleson. There's just, there are a lot of guys on the St. Louis Cardinals who could contribute, uh, you know, in the lineup this year. Uh, And it's going to be really interesting to see who emerges as the predominant guys on this club. Cause I think Marmol is going to do a lot of mixing and matching and, you know, this year could go in ways that no one anticipated and it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I mean this, you know, you're probably going to be looking at, you know, Gorman and Walker hitting like seventh and eighth on this team. I mean, which this is, is crazy, a, which yeah, is this crazy. Is a, <laughs> this, this is a, this is an extremely, extremely deep, deep lineup. So um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, something that's not as deep Ben is the, uh, the starting rotation. <laughs> so uh, uh 
shifting gears to talk about the starting rotation, uh, we uh, we took some of the the pitchers who look most likely to contribute to the rotation, and we thought it might be fun to uh, do some over unders uh, for those pitchers. So, uh, so, so Ben, I'm going to throw the first one your way, uh, starting with uh, uh, Adam Wainwright, because where else are you going to start on this team? Ben, I'm going to throw this at you. Adam Wainwright, over or under 5.5 wins on the season. He needs five wins to get to uh, 200. So I'm just taking, I'm saying they'll get him to his 200. So so, so I'm setting the over under at 5.5. Well, you know, they're going to... He will have to be injured not to get more than that. Okay, so if you're asking me if I think that Mosellock, Gersh, and Marmol are going to take him off of the roster if he's ineffective, I don't think they will. I think it's probably it would probably have to get pretty painful for that to happen. And I, I, I think I think I, my underlying question is we we know they're going to get him his five for two hundred. Is he going to contribute more than that this season? I yeah, I I think he is, and I may just be looking at his injury with way too rose-colored uh, a shade of glasses here. Um, but I I think he's going to have more, and I think I think he has a bad taste in his mouth with how last year ended, and mm-hmm. um. And I think the club hopefully will be in the position where they do not have to rush him. So when he comes back, he will be healthy. And I and I also hope we get just a nice dose of the wily veteran starting pitcher that feels like is becoming rarer and rarer uh, in Major League Baseball, and uh, and gives us like more in the eight to ten win range. So I'm going to go with over. Okay. Okay. All right. Solid. Solid. I, uh, I certainly, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. All right. So over under here, we're going to go to the opening day starter, uh, Miles Michaelis, Jupiter's favorite son. Um, and so when you look at his, uh, you know, career with the Cardinals, Ben, uh, you know, he, earned a reputation as a bit of a like workhorse pitch to contact starter in his first couple years. And then he threw 44 and two thirds innings between 2020 and 2021. And then he threw over 200 last year. So with those inputs, uh, zips projects him for 156 innings pitched. And he's in the, the first year of what is now effectively a three year deal and of course, we all recall that it didn't take him too long to get injured after he signed his last extension. So my question to you, Ben, is uh, does Miles Michaelis uh, over under 156 innings pitched, which is what Zips projects him for? You know, I feel like there's just like a law of the universe that guys uh, get injured or pitch less right after they sign a long-term deal. Um, And and I'm not saying it's like by choice, you know, you know what I mean? I'm not like accusing them of anything. I just feel like 
that just almost feels like that's how it, how it goes. Um, and also just, he's of an age. I, you know, I don't know if a pitcher of that age, it's like, if they weren't hurt last year, I feel like they're going to be hurt this year. So, um, uh, I certainly hope he's not. And I do think, um, you know, he, uh, I mean, he's certainly, uh, you know, he's certainly not thrown with so much velocity that he's putting too much strain on, um, himself, but, uh, no, I, I, uh, I, I'm going to say under, I think, um, hopefully not too far under, but I just have a feeling, you know, hopefully not a major injury, but maybe a little bit of load management, maybe a, you know, a little kind of short DL thing here or there. I'm, I'm thinking he'll come in a, a little bit under that. All righty. So a little pessimistic on uh, Mr. Michaelis. Yeah, I'm I'm going just a little, just a little bit. So I don't know. Um, all right, Ben. Uh, Jordan Montgomery sticking with with uh, Zips here. Um, uh, Zips projects Jordan Montgomery at a three point six zero FIP, which is uh, would be the best on the team uh, in terms of uh, starting pitchers. So are you over under 3.60 or if uh, just as the over under the best FIP among starting pitchers? Uh, and just for folks who might not be familiar, FIP is fielding independent pitching and it's on the ERA scale, but it looks at strikeouts, walks and home runs allowed because those are the three things that pitchers have are, are said to have the most control over. And so it looks more closely at individual performance than like earned run average, which defense plays a role in. Um, and so I am going to say, uh, I'm going to say under. It's a walk year. The Cardinals were unable to sign him to an extension. So I think he's probably going to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder between that and the arbitration uh, process. And uh, I also think he's probably the best pitcher on the team. Um, I don't say that with a lot of conviction, but I, I think that's probably true. Um, and so I am, I am going to go with under the understanding being, of course, a lower FIP is better, like with ERA than a higher FIP. And so uh, I'm going to go under. I think Jordan Montgomery is going to be the best starter on this team. And then he's going to go become a free agent and get paid. And, uh, more power to him if that's the path he chooses, because uh, it'll help the Cardinals win this year, and it'll set him and his family up for, uh, I think, life uh, if he's able to succeed. Yeah, and I think I'd I'd agree with you on that. I mean, I I, I don't know that he's the the best by a long shot. You know, I think um, you know he and and Mats and and Michaelis, um, you know, I think are pretty uh, tightly kind of grouped together, but. Um, but yeah, I, I, he would still probably be my my pick uh, as well. So I'm, I'm with you on that. All right, moving along with our over under of the starting pitchers, and uh, my mom text mess messaged me Ben, so I actually got off of our outline, and I apologize. That brings us to Jack no, did, Flaherty. Did she text? Did she text message you about the Cardinals, Ben? Because I know she does that sometimes. No, she text messaged about if I would like brownies. Um, oh, okay. You know, very I, I important like stuff. 
yeah, very important okay. stuff uh, from my mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but these are the the types of things uh that she does. Uh, she apparently noticed that uh we have gotten through the St. Patrick's Day sugar cookies she baked us, so now she needs gotcha. to bake up some more sweets. So uh Jack Flaherty, everyone knows he has had health issues. He tried to come back last year and did not look at himself did not look like himself. So for his career uh, overall, including last year, he has a 28% strikeout rate. The major league average uh, for a starting pitcher in 2022 was 22.4. Jack Flaherty last year was 19.8. So for his career, he's very much an above average strikeout pitcher. Last year, he was below average, but I'm going to put it to you like this, Ben. Just, does Jack Flaherty over under the league average strikeout rate, let's just say 22% in 2023? Yeah. Well, and for context, uh, Zips projects him at 24.8. So Zips does project him uh, still over the major league average. Uh, I'm going to say under Ben, and I got to be honest, I almost shouted under as soon as you said, Jack Flaherty, I, <laughs> um, I didn't, without even knowing where you were going. And I, I, gosh, I like Jack Flaherty so much. And, you know, those first couple of uh, seasons of his career, um, you know, just, you know, looked fantastic and just, you know, injury, just unfortunately, it just looks more and more like it has just kind of, you know, sapped him from what he was. And, um, uh, you know, the, and again, not to hang too much on spring performance, but, um, the stat lines and I've watched him pitch this spring too, and, and, ah, it has not looked good. And really even just the last couple of years, I mean, it's, he's, he's, uh, you know, battled to get out there and it's, it, it just has not looked very, very good. And, and I have honestly been, I have come to wonder with Flaherty, you know, the, the Flaherty, uh, profile early in his career, I mean, he filled the zone up with strikes, you know, and he got a lot of swinging strikes. And I just don't know that his stuff supports that approach anymore because he gets hit hard now. And I just almost wonder if even as young a guy as he is, he needs the kind of reinvention that we often see, you know, guys undertake more like when they're in their 30s and, you know, they've, they've, you know, really lost velocity and they got to go from being a power pitcher to, uh, you know, uh, you know, a wily, uh, you know, nibbling kind of guy or something. Uh, it just, it seems like maybe he's going to need to find something different to be successful. I don't know. I hope not. Um, I certainly hope he can go out there and be successful, but I I'm off the train of just, you know, thinking, oh gosh, is Flaherty back? Is Flaherty back? Are we going to see that guy again? I don't think that guy is in there anymore. And I hope there's still an effective guy in there, but um, I don't think it'll be a, a guy who can produce a above league average strikeout rate anymore. And of course the concerns about Flaherty um, are what led us to advocate for the team to sign Dr. Pepper, Marcus Stroman instead of Dr. Thunder, Stephen Matz. And uh, that's a good segue to our next pitcher, Ben. 
Yes. Uh, by the way, I would also like to point out that um, if Jack Flaherty uh, strikes out exactly the league average, he is still fairly likely to lead the Cardinals starters in strikeout rate. So, <laughs> yes, he he would That's be cute. an outlier in the starting rotation on the high side uh, if if he fell to just uh, league average uh, compared to his career numbers. Let's keep that in mind. Although someone else, uh, uh, the, the person who would give him the, the probably the biggest run for his money uh, would be Stephen Matt, um, who incidentally, uh, Zips projects set a 23.1% strikeout rate. So he's not too far behind where, where uh, more recent Flaherty has been. But my question for you, Ben, uh, uh, the current um, kind of depth chart Zips type projection is expecting 124 innings pitched for Steven Matz coming off of a mostly lost year to injury. Uh, what's your expectation? Do you think he will go over or under that? Um, I, I, uh, I think Matz is going to have uh, a really great year. Um, I thought last year he looked quite good and I think he's going to, you know, have uh, a really good this, a really good season this year. Um, and, you know, like his injury last year was kind of a weird one. Um, and so uh, I, I'm a, I'm, I am a believer in Dr. Thunder uh, going into this year. And uh, I'm going to make a bold prediction, Ben. Uh, and I'm going to say, we may even be calling him Dr. Pepper by the end of the season. Yeah, you know, Stroman, as, as much as we talked Stroman up, he d- didn't have the best of results um, up there on the north side of Chicago. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I think that could, I think that could, could very much happen. Um, yeah, like I, I'm, uh, you know, he, he was better last year before he got injured. He looked better last year before he got injured. And I know he had a, his ERA didn't necessarily reflect that, but he, he was a better pitcher than I thought he would be. And, yes. uh, and he has looked this year in spring training, he has looked healthy and very similar to that pitcher, which, you know, you try not to put too much stock in spring training, but with guys coming back from injury, you know, if you can kind of yeah. check that he's healthy box, <laughs> yeah, which, which you can kind of get a feel for just by how they're performing um, yeah. and how they look out there. And I feel like Matt's has done that. And so I feel pretty good about him. Well, even late last season, just in that really limited kind of reliever role. I mean, he was a weapon when he was out there. Yes. I mean, he, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's going to take the Dr. Pepper mantle by the end of this year. Um, and, uh, that brings us to, uh, your, or not your, I was going to say your favorite pitcher in mine, but let's be honest. It's, it's just mine. Yeah. He's just yeah. my favorite pitcher. Um, and that's Jake Woodford. Uh, the, uh, the guy who has more frequent flyer miles on the Memphis from the Memphis shuttle than any other player, uh, in the organization, uh, and the guy. Can I who... tell a quick? Can I tell a quick anecdote? Anecdote, Ben. We were at a game. We went to to a game in St. Louis together last year. You and I. Yes. And we were out to breakfast. Uh, they were playing the Reds. There was a guy, a guy, Reds fan there wearing a T-shirt with the the Jake Woodford uh, uh, picture on it uh, with Nick Castellanos 
across the restaurant. And this is like, it was a big restaurant. This guy was like a quarter of a mile away and you eagle eyed it. So yes. people need to know that that is the, the kind of eye you have for any um, Jake Woodford content that you come into contact with. Yes, it was it was like a a, a, a drawing of the image uh, that is now <laughs> yeah. famous, um, and I have found it on the internet. But my uh, my better half has told me I can't get any more cardinal shirts. So can't, was, can't, can't you one in and one out? Is well, that, yeah, but what do I want to? You know, like what am I going to yeah, want right. out for that? You know, like. Yeah there's nothing really ready to go out. And so, and I was also, to be honest, I was kind of hoping that with Castellano signing somewhere else, the price might come down, but it hasn't. So um, yes, Uh, Jake Woodford is my favorite Cardinals pitcher. And so uh, with that in mind, of course, he is taking Adam Wainwright's spot for at least several weeks, assuming he performs. And so he has, he has never had more than 67 and two thirds innings pitched in St. Louis. He's never had more than eight starts in a season for the Cardinals. Uh, and Zips projects him for 15 starts and 98 innings pitched. And that, that feels pretty good for me uh, in terms of kind of, Ooh, I, I don't know over under on that. And, and we'll just zoom in uh, with the Wainwright injury uh Let's just do the game start, the the starts, Ben. Do yeah. you over under Jake Woodford fifteen starts for the St. Louis Cardinals this year? Uh, I'm going to say under on that number, um, and a couple reasons. Um, you know, one, I think he's you know he's going to get a run now. Now it's a big question mark the the Wainwright thing. I think we've just heard a number of weeks, but we don't know how many weeks that is. So. Um, you know, I do think Woodford will get several turns through the rotation here, at least to start. But, you know, I think we'll we'll assume that Wainwright will come back um, after what, however many weeks Woodford would be out at that point. Um, you know, and so you could say, well, but then Woodford's next in line to come back in. But I tend to think that they uh, that that Libertor might be um, the, the person who they would prefer to see come in, um, you know, then when, when a next opening comes. Um, so I'm not so sure that Woodford, um, you know, would get as many opportunities. Um, you know, so, uh, it's, it's certainly possible, but I'm going to go with under. I, I think that's perfectly fair. I mean, what, what it really comes down to is will he pitch so well with Wainwright out that he he basically makes himself the sixth you know the next guy right. right like and and that's a really tough thing to do especially when you have a pitcher with libertor's pedigree uh down on the farm and i i i tend to agree with you but i'm i'm definitely hoping that woodford uh is able to seize the day with this opportunity yeah. and cement his role in the club well, and but you know, interestingly, like like we talked about at the beginning about the Cardinals looking more at underlying ability as opposed to say stat line, you know, that's something that we talked about a lot last year with Woodford, right? And there's been these folks that have been kind of clamoring for Woodford, you know, who who has had you know a decent ERA, like kind of decent some of those numbers, but um, 
you know, underlying it, there's just, there's not a lot, there's not very good stuff there. There hasn't been a lot to really make you think that there's, um, you know, real sustainable um, kind of pitchability underlying that. Now, Woodford, to his credit, has kind of done some of the things the team has asked him to do to become the kind of, you know, useful um, plug-in type guy that he now is. But I think that's exactly the kind of um, that lack of the underlying skill set is going to continue to be the kind of thing that keeps him from makes it difficult for him to rise up into that sixth starter role because I think there's other guys who are more in Libertor being uh, probably top on the list that are more likely to rise above him for that very reason. And actually, Ben Libertor is very next on our list, and and uh, I have a very similar question for you. Um, uh, the Fangraphs' various kind of depth chart projection systems have him projected for between 11 and 13 starts in the major leagues. Um, do, uh, just as a reference point, do you think he makes more starts in the major leagues or in the minor leagues this season? Uh, I think he makes more starts in the major leagues um, because the team will have to deal with injuries in addition to Adam Wainwright almost certainly. And I think he's the next man up, not Dakota Hudson. So I'm going to say more. And, and to your point, uh, I'll, I'll reiterate that the, the Cardinals want Matthew Libertor to be a starter next year, probably more than anyone else on their roster. Right. And so I think they would love to see him cement that role this year. And so I think he will get ample opportunity to do that. Um, and and so I'm going to go with over because I, I think that's going to be, you know, kind of his extended audition for the 2024 rotation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we're on to our, our last uh, pitcher, Ben. Uh, our last pitcher is Dakota Hudson. And uh, just so folks know, our premise here was to use the Zips projections and kind of come up with some over-unders that uh, allow us to provide some insight to you about these pitchers. Um, with Dakota Hudson, I have thrown the projection systems uh, out the window. And instead, I have drawn on my knowledge of the St. Louis Cardinals front office. And I have come up with this question, Ben. Uh, over under seven starts for the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2023 for Dakota Hudson. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, it's, it's a good number. Um, but, you know, it won't happen until the trade deadline because, you know, John Mozeliak, for all the things he does well, cannot figure out a way to make a trade happen before the trade deadline. So, you know, can he get Hudson get enough starts in after the trade deadline? But I think he can. So I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say over, um, you know, the, the question is um, what package of washed out minor leaguers will they get in return for, uh, for Dakota Hudson? Uh, I, I was thinking it, it would probably just be a right-handed reliever. Um, yeah, that's, you know, that's like, probably it. Like Chris Stratton 2.0, you 
basically. Yes. Um, yeah. No, you're or, right. Yeah. That's, that's probably yeah, more likely. And, right. and maybe they get a throw in, you know, like lottery ticket, minor league reliever, you know, that you can maybe wish on a little bit, but um, yeah. So uh, that, that was my question about Dakota Hudson. Cause I I'll be surprised if he does much of anything in St. Louis this year. Um, and, and I, I think he just, the, the way the team has handled him, you know, from the towards the end of last year through, you know, really today, to me, it just suggests they have him as depth, but they don't really want to have him as depth. Like, I, I feel like he's on his way out. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes you, you gotta, you gotta call the employee into your office and sit down and you just have to say, Hey, I'm sorry. It just didn't work out. You know, <laughs> it's just kind of, I think, that's where they're at with Dakota Hudson. Um, and, and I don't know that we need to point any fingers or say it's anybody's fault, but it just, it, it just didn't work out. And uh, that's, that's where they're at. So, um, all right. Well, Ben, um, I think we uh, left a, a, a small window of time here to talk about the, the bullpen. We don't really have a framework for it, but I don't know. Was there any just kind of general thoughts you had on the, on the bullpen? It's sort of the one aspect of the team we haven't really touched on. Um, you know, I don't think I have much uh, to add that folks have not already read. I'm absolutely fascinated to see Giovanni Gallegos pitch with a pitch clock. And I, I don't know if I, <laughs> I have adequately described my, uh, how intriguing I find this. My level of interest is very, very high. Uh, and especially after him going off to the World Baseball Classic where they don't have it. So I, I'm very fascinated by that. Um, and uh, the, other, the other thing that I'm very interested about is Drew Verhagen. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's a very persistent thing that, and, and we talked about this earlier, the Cardinals like uh, the measure, the direct measurements of pitcher and hitter performance. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've seen that the club really likes his, the way his pitches profile. And he even had a quote along the lines of like his metrics are, you know, the, the club likes his metrics or something like that. And I think Derek Gould reported that his metrics are the kind that all the clubs are after now, you know? And so I'm also really interested to see him pitch this year when presumably he is healthy. I don't know how healthy he was last year. And then to immediately bring up StatCast and uh, dissect the data and see what they're talking about. So uh, I'm, I'm very interested in that. Um, and, you know, if, for folks who didn't listen to Meet Me at Mutual, uh, I, I just don't put much stock in opening day bullpen anymore because opening day is a game one game out of 162 and there's going to be turnover in the bullpen and so uh i don't get too hung up on it and i don't uh really set very firm expectations for relievers because you know their performance is very volatile and you know you just hope that they're able to figure it out by the time they get to like August and the home stretch. So they're ready to go for October. Yeah, no, um, a hundred percent. And I, I'm with you. Um, 
you know, this, this bullpen, um, it's, it's been kind of, um, surprisingly, um, consistent here for, a, you know, a, a period of a couple years now. I mean, Gallegos has been at the back end of this bullpen for a while now. Helsley has, you know, been back there, um, you know, in a prominent role for a while now. So you, you, they're obviously your kind of two headed end of game, you know, just r- really kind of dominant, um, you know, feature back there. Um, you know, and then you've got some other, you know, folks, you've got your Jordan Hicks, you know, you've got maybe um, like a, you know, like a Chris Stratton, um, you know, potentially, or just some other folks who maybe you hope can, can give you some, um, you know, hopefully some, some of those higher leverage innings. Um, yeah. And like you said, then you just get into where it's more of the numbers game and you just kind of need the the quantity more than anything else. Verhagen's interesting to me as well. Um, you know, I feel like we were sold him as a swing man, um, but they really seem to have kind of just moved out of the idea of him having any kind of starting role, which is, is somewhat interesting to me. Um, similarly, um, you know, Zach Thompson, just more and more, it seems like they really consider him a bullpen guy. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, Palante as well. And, you know, Andre Palante had, I think like the sixth or seventh most starts on this team last season. Um, you know, and, and they're kind of, you know, locking him in as a, a bullpen guy as well. Now I'm not saying that, you know, Verheigen or, or Thompson or Palante strike me as particularly promising starters. They don't, but that said, the, they don't have promising starters. And so when you're comparing them to, you know, Jake Woodford and Dakota Hudson and some of those other options, it does surprise me a little bit that they're not maybe giving those guys somewhat of a consideration, um, you know, for a, for a, uh, you know, at least as a starter or a kind of fill-in starter there. Now that could change, you know, when they, if they do have a need, they could stretch some of those guys out. So that could be the case. So I don't know. That's, that's a little interesting to me. Would they ever consider any, any of those guys in a starter role? Um, and then, you know, Gordon Graceffo is a guy who is the one kind of pitching prospect who I think you could see this season come up and it would be in that bullpen role. So, um, you know, that would be just maybe a name to kind of watch for. But um, I think that's about all I'm really on the lookout for in the in the bullpen. Yeah, I I think that is it has been interesting to see how they seem to have changed their view on some of these pitchers. And they they apparently view some of them just as relievers now. And uh, hopefully they're able to perform. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Ben, um, I think we're uh, winding towards the end here. So as we wrap things up, um, heading, whether it's into opening day or, or looking out over the whole season, uh, what are you going to be looking for? Uh, I'm going to be looking for uh, Jordan Walker, uh, his plate discipline, basically. And, uh, his ability in particular on breaking balls, both to lay off breaking balls out of the zone and his ability to do damage if he gets something that's uh, not too well thrown in the zone. Because I think that's really going to be uh, an important factor in his performance this year and his development as a major leaguer. So I'm going to be paying too much attention to that. Uh, in the early weeks and I'll probably let up a little bit in the summer 
and then revisit it uh, towards the end of the year when we have more data. But uh, at least to start, I'm really interested uh, to see how he does in that area as a rookie uh, playing his first games uh, in the majors. Well, we should really start sharing these ahead of time so we don't overlap because um, I have Jordan Walker pressing written down here. That's what I'm, <laughs> <laughs> what I'm looking out for. So basically the same thing. But, um, you know, what's been interesting to me watching him this spring is um, I, I honestly his approach has probably been the thing that's impressed me the most. Um, you know, and I haven't seen him uh, chasing and I, I, I've just seen. Uh, really pretty universally um, good approach there at the the plate. So that's why I I use that word pressing, because what what I'm interested to see is once he is in the major leagues, and especially if he's in the major leagues for a week, two weeks, and if his results are maybe a little slow to start, does that change? And does he start to chase breaking pitches? And does he start to um, try to do too much? And do we see what has been, been a good approach change. So um, I feel like I, I I have seen a good approach out of him, but if I, if we see him start to press, I think that'll be the sign that, um, you know, he's um, maybe there's, there's, uh, you know, having some issues with the confidence and just some of those kind of things are starting to come in. So um, Ben, do you have an off day recommendation for folks? Uh I, I do, and I hope I'm not stepping on your toes. Uh, Dane Perry, uh, a writer for CBS Sports and a Cardinals fan, has started a substack called Birdie Work. Uh, it's a subscription uh, that you have to pay for. Uh, the first post is on Jordan Walker and is excellent. Um, it is free for all, and I encourage you to read that. It's Jordan Walker and the value of reaching the majors at age 20 really good post. Um, and I would also encourage you to give consideration. I think the monthly subscription is like $3 and some odd cents a month, which is, you know, I, as the saying goes less than a, a Starbucks, uh, you know, cappuccino drink. So, uh, I think it would be well worth it. Um, and I encourage you, uh, to head over there, give his first post a read and give consideration to subscribing. Yeah, well, and as I thought about what do I recommend for folks the day before the season starts, or maybe folks are even listening to this on opening day, getting excited for that afternoon day game to start. I remembered a couple years back, I on Spotify created a playlist that is a full hour of uh, Here Comes the King on Stadium Organ. So um, you can uh, listen to that playlist and uh, uh, imagine yourself there at Bush Stadium with the, uh, the the players parading around. You can par- you can parade around your living room if you want. Just march around, have your own little opening day there in your living room. Get into the spirit. Uh, we'll uh, we'll throw a link for that um, onto our uh, our Substack where we post this. Um, we'll we'll get it up on our uh, Twitter as well. So uh, you know. Uh, if you don't get enough of that when you watch uh, the opening day broadcast, uh, you can uh, you can listen to that at home. You can listen to that in the car. Um, but uh, get into the spirit of uh, of opening day. It is a very special thing, especially for uh, Cardinals fans. Uh, ben, anything else before we uh, wrap it up and start the season? No, thank you all for listening uh, and enjoy the pageantry of opening day. 
and go Cardinals. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, once again, as always, thank you to Devant for the music. Thank you to Dan for helping us out on social media. For um, folks who are joining us for the first time here, uh, we will be back with you uh, every off day through the season. So we'll see you again soon. Go, go.